came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. So who do we have? Governor David Patterson telling us what's going on in New York, along with Congressman Peter King, uh, Alphonse D'Amato. And on the uh, uh, looking up in the skies, we got Steve Cates. And on the economy, one smart guy. We got Adam Johnson. And uh, to start off the show, Michael Stoller on what's going on in the real estate industry. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I have the king of retail leasing. Somebody I've known for many years who's been very helpful to me in helping me find guests for my TV shows and just for market information, Jeff Roseman, a founding partner of the Newmark's retail division and a, a vice chairman, correct, of the, of the firm, Newmark and Company. So, Jeff, we were talking the other day, and I was a little surprised from your comments that you said retail is in favor. It's a favored asset today. I still remember when they said retail, walk away from it. Banks, no, no lending, nothing over there. What happened? It's it's interesting, Michael. It's been a, a a crazy ride. You know, probably about ten years ago, they were predicting the the, the demise of all retail. Online sales were going to destroy retail. Um, you had a lot of old chains that were sort of getting on in years that were losing customers, and so it was a perfect storm that people were so, sort of welcoming in the, uh, the you know, Internet as, as a way to shop. Um, I think as time evolved and, and people started shopping online seriously, you know, you realize that while it's good for paper towels and sneakers that you know, you know, you're not buying suits and clothing and jewelry and furniture. And, you know, it's it's pretty much a wild card when you're doing that. So... Retailers, uh, you know, geared up a bit. The pandemic uh, sort of bloomed a whole new uh, group of people who wanted to build a better mousetrap, who said, I could sell eyeglasses better, I could sell croissants better, I could do, uh, you know, uh, teeth whitening better. And, and, you know, lo and behold, it's it's just been uh, incredibly... So, uh, with, with, with regard to that, you know, when you talk about the... Glasses, the eyeglasses. Warby Parker is a perfect example. They were an internet company, and today they're a major retailer. Correct. Um, I, you know, Amazon is a is a retailer, and and I think I think uh, all of the online retailers realized quickly that they needed a, another channel, and and people really wanted to go in and bond with with the brand and be able to, uh, you know, know know what they were getting into. So. Um, yeah, it's it's. There are no uh, strict online retailers anymore. Everyone's got combination. Now, what with regard to the retailers, let, let's talk about the landlords. How's the world changed for a tenant? Because I knew before that you could get a great deal, a couple months free, a couple of years free, you know, and other 
improvements. What's what's the status today for attendance? Well, from, you know, if if we talk New York City, which, I'm, we're talking New York City. Let's talk the five boroughs. Right. So so look, COVID was a was a disaster for everybody. Obviously, so I think there were some retailers and restaurateurs that that saw COVID for what it was and knew that it was going to end and and were able to sort of make some incredible deals. There were there were great deals being done by the landlords who could afford to do them. You know, there are a lot of landlords who purchased properties in the past few years. They had to give back the keys when their tenants left. The, uh, the uh, you know, established landlords were able to make deals with retailers, giving them a couple years free rent, some TI, do whatever they had to do to get a, a live retailer in there. That's gone away. I mean, the, the markets have all come back. Um, you know, the, the, the lagging markets have been midtown and downtown from a retail standpoint. But, but over the past year, I'd say, those markets have come back as people come back to the office. Um, but, you know, there's not a market in the city right now or from a retail standpoint that is not flourishing. Now, you were talking to me also with regard to restaurants. What's happening in the restaurant world? Um, there's there's a lot of restaurants. Um, uh, you know, I think as as a way to get people back to the office, a lot of landlords have have welcomed restaurants in and are converting old retail spaces or bank spaces into restaurants. They are they are paying up for the right brands. I mean, SL Green is a prime example of someone who has made a lot of deals with restaurants over the past year or so. They realize it is a it's an amenity. It does bring people back to the office, and and it uh, it just is a feel good use uh, on the ground floor as opposed to maybe uh, a bank or a uh, uh, you know some other uh, bland retailer. Uh, how is the Hudson Yards area and the Brookfield West area on the far west side doing in retail? I you know it's phenomenal. I mean I think that. You know, what Vornado has done with both Penn Station and Moynihan Station are, is a are game changer. I mean, Moynihan Station, anytime I'm showing a retailer around that part of town, I walk them through both Penn and Moynihan just so they get a feel for sort of, you know, the transportation hub that takes you to this part of town. Um, Manhattan West has done a great job. Whole Foods is is always packed. There's a number of restaurants in there. It feels good. Um, those office buildings seem to be filled most of, you know, if, if not uh, five days a week, four and a half days a week. Is a, There's a real sense of energy. Right, and then there's also the fact that Wells Fargo took over the Neiman Marcus space. Which is great. I mean, I, that's one of the highlights for us because it, it brings more people to the area. You know, we were hoping that they didn't put another department store in there because that's probably not what the area needed. There's enough retail there now. Hudson Yards has a lot of retailers. Now you have 3,000 or 4,000 people every day sort of eating and shopping in the area. Okay. I think people should go in the right hands of Jeff Roseman and his colleagues at uh, Newmark & Company, and thank you for being here. Thank See you, See you Michael. next week. Appreciate it. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back.
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is uh, former Governor David Patterson, and he is one common sense uh, uh, ex-governor, I hate to say the word ex, uh, Governor Patterson, Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, John, and um, I think a lot of us are glad to be out of 2023. It was a tough year, the whole situation with the migrants all over the country, the uh, horrible attack on uh, Israel by Hamas, and some, you know, really um, very disturbing uh, statistics about education in the United States and, and otherwise. However, one person who I think quietly had a very good year in 2023 was Governor Kathy Hochul, and she'll probably be telling us a lot about that uh, in a couple of days on Tuesday when she delivers her State of the State address. And it will really magnify the fact that when she came in in 2021, the first thing she had to do was run for reelection. And, you know, that was um, a very hard thing to do to come in and then run the next year. But she wins the reelection. She had, you know, a, a, a number of battles with the legislature that didn't work out for her, uh, but she has kept her cool. And here in 2023, as we go into 2024, we recognize that um, crime around New York State is down about 7 to 8%. Crime in the city is down 12%. And uh, really, if uh, not for the migrant situation, uh, it would be a, a good reason to really laud the work of uh, Mayor Adams, who had some definite plans that he put into effect where the crime is concerned. I would say that the, the Governor Hochul's priorities, I think, this year are to try to get the legislature to understand that we're in an election year federally, that New York lost some congressional seats in 2022, and the Democrats would try to want to uh, win them back. And it might seem like more of a problem than it might actually be, because Governor Hochul has worked very well with uh, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, the majority leader of the Senate, and Carl Hasty, the Speaker of the Assembly. And they have gotten a lot done. And I think on, on a lot of occasions, Governor has acceded to their interests, and it really has been a three-way leadership as opposed to just one person dominating. And I can't think of another governor, including myself, that had this good a relationship with the legislature. And certainly Governor Kerry didn't. Governor Cuomo didn't. Both of Governor Cuomo's had tough times with the legislature. Governor Pataki had his entire, all of his vetoes overturned by the legislature in 2003. Then I came along and I fought with them to the extent that I vetoed all of their uh, member items at the end of my term, and they couldn't actually get them back and didn't get them back under Governor Cuomo. 
So well, Governor, Governor really, Pataki was with us the other day, and he says there's a, there's a, there's a a hole in the in the budget somewhere where if he could he puts in certain items at a certain point in the budget, they can't veto it and they can't overturn it. Yes. Well, what it is. So is let's that, tell the truth. Okay. So the the way that works is the legislature obviously participates in. Uh, putting together the budget, but it is the governor that can, after that period of time, the governor can then recommend what the governor wants, and the legislature has to vote it up or down. And if the legislature doesn't vote it up, they shut down the government. And I did that to the legislature in uh, 2010. It was crafted by Governor Kerry in 1981, but I don't think he ever realized nor did governors after him what a powerful weapon that could be. And so uh, Governor uh, Hochul, if she gets into a big squabble with the legislature's budget, could do that. But she's managed to pass these budgets the last two years without that problem. So it should be a pretty good year for her. And I think if she tries to pull the party back a little bit from where the extremists, the Democratic Socialists are going, that the Democrats could pick up a few seats for Congress. You mean, well, well, we hopefully she can get that done, but before everybody else moves out. I mean, tell yeah. me about, <laughs> tell me about Mayor Adams and his executive order uh, on the uh, on the bus uh, situation from Texas. Now I understand the buses are going to New Jersey, and then they're putting him on a railroad car to go into back into Manhattan. I mean, that's a way around the executive order. Uh, New Jersey doesn't want him. What the heck is going on, uh, Governor? It's a very tough thing. It it worked politically if you live in Texas for uh, Governor Abbott. It was kind of a brilliant idea. He had to ship the migrants to other states. But while it might have been uh, politically feasible for him, it was not a, a really cooperative effort that he has waged with the other states. And Mayor Adams finally got tired of it and rightly decided that he would issue these executive orders that New York City must be notified when migrants are coming in within 32 hours. And so this was sort of a way around it. Send them to New Jersey and then have them come in on the train. So there, there's a lot of uh, disingenuousness going on in terms of how to hide, house the migrants. I think that uh, Mayor Adams is laudable in the fact that he stood up to the federal government and challenged them why they have picked New York out really more than any other state to ship migrants and why they haven't sent any money to help try to place them or any of the services that people need when they move to a new territory. And then they had a problem with the fact that after 60 days, some of the children that were in school would have to come out if they had to move because that was a limited time that they could stay at certain facilities that uh, was set up. But I think, you know, Mayor Adams, it, it has to be understood, has probably had the toughest job, including the president, in the last year because New York has really been the focus of where the migrant situation is. I understand they're, they're continually shipping people to Chicago, and the Chicago mayor has uh, stood up and said, uh, well, did he say, send me more? And uh, the mayor from Boston said, send me more. I mean, this is... 
It's out of control, Governor. Mayor Adams said that in the beginning, and I think what he meant was that he was not going to oppose the fact that people want to come in this country and that they want to live in New York. He probably never imagined that as soon as he said it, everybody started sending migrants to New York. So Denver, Chicago, any place else, uh, Boston included, beware of what you wish for because you might get it. Governor David Patterson, thank you for your input, and thank you, and uh, we'll see you again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Take care. With us today is uh, former Congressman Peter King, and he was a member of the uh, Homeland Security Committee when he was in Congress, and an old name has come up, ISIS. I haven't heard that name in a while. Well, ISIS last week admitted it was them that attacked Iran. Congressman King, uh, you were a member of the Homeland Security uh, uh, Department. Uh, ISIS, who's funding them? Where do they come from? Who are they? John, well, ISIS is a, a, a Sunni group of uh, Islamists. They're similar to al-Qaeda. In many ways, they're like an offshoot of al-Qaeda. Uh, they're, they're separate, but they have the same beliefs, the same agenda. They have made tremendous inroads. Uh, back in 2010, 2011, uh, 2012, uh, to, to that, really during the early teens. And uh, they had uh, an area larger than the state of Connecticut. That's how much of the Middle East they had taken over. And they were burning people alive. They were considered unbeatable. And then Donald Trump, I give President Trump credit, within a year of him being elected, ISIS was pretty much eliminated or chased underground. But they are vicious, probably the most vicious groups of uh, Islamist terrorists we've had, worse than al-Qaeda, if you can imagine that. Uh, and now they appear to reemerge, and if they are the ones, in fact, that did this with uh, the uh, grave of General Soleimani in Iran, this is a feud within Islamist terrorist groups. Uh, and uh, who's funding them? It could be... Uh, Again, there's you know big money that has given to the uh, uh, Al Qaeda over the years to ISIS, uh, people in 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 the Middle East, uh, and you know it's it's often hard to keep in mind, but uh, Al Qaeda and Iran, for instance, have been hostile to each other over the years. Uh, ISIS and Iran have been hostile. Now we often look upon them as being in the same boat, but they really are. You know, in their mind, there are differences between them. I think the only differences they have is. How are they going to kill us? That's the, the main difference. Having said that, that that's uh, what our really worries are. Now, now uh, uh, are you worried as a as a member of Homeland Security? With the FBI director a couple of weeks ago, Christopher Ray stood up uh, in Congress and said, "A lot of those terrorists are coming through our borders that are open, and we don't know where they are." I am very concerned about that. You know, after nine eleven, and they had the. Uh, 9-11 Commission report went back and it showed all the things that we missed leading up to 9-11. People said, God, how can we have missed all that? We are missing much more now than we ever missed before 9-11. I mean, think of all the security, John, that's been there at the airport. How many times people have to take their shoes off, take their belts off? You have to go through everything. And now, uh, and that's just to stop people in, individually. Now we have them coming across by the thousands at, at the southern border including people from the Middle East, including people that are on the terrorist watch list. All you need is two or three of them to get through, and many of them have, and they can carry out attacks on us. I am very, very concerned. 
And uh, then you add to that that so many of them are coming to New York. And they're not being vetted. They're not being examined. We don't know who they are. Uh, if we do find out who they are, it's too late. Or they're released back into the country. And to have that threat. And New York is still the number one terrorist target in the world. We have so many large uh, uh, collections of people, whether it's on the subways, whether it's in theaters, or at, in, uh, department stores. So many, so many vulnerable facilities. So many houses of worship in New York. So many, so many playhouses. So many uh, iconic uh, buildings and structures. So now I am very concerned, and it's really only a matter of time unless we do something more more severe than we're doing now. Because right now we're doing nothing. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. The FBI, the police, they're trying to monitor. But how do you monitor when you have, a, let's say, in New York, when you have so many millions and millions of people trying to scout everyone that's in there? We used to, in the past, we used to have actually uh, uh, investigations, or we used to have people monitoring different communities. So we knew from which, uh, which immigrant groups here could uh, pose a problem to us. We could also know which people who are citizens here, who are sympathizers to these foreign terrorist groups. <clears throat> now, so much of that has gone away. The FBI is limited in what it can do. The NYPD is limited in what it can do. And on top of that, we're having thousands upon thousands of unvetted immigrants coming into the country. <laughs> so uh, it's really, uh, to me, it's been uh, almost a miracle we haven't been attacked yet. I'm yes, very I, I agree. Congressman, I agree with you 100%. Uh, the, it seems like uh, by uh, bringing up the price of oil where, where uh, uh, President Biden brought it up to $100 a barrel, it made all those uh, OPEC nations rich again, and they used, they're using the money to fund all the terrorist groups. And then with the open borders, those terrorist groups are just walking into the United States. I mean, you can't make this up. This is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Yeah, John, if somebody come to us several years ago and said, this is what uh, you know, the president's going to do, we'd say, what, are you crazy? No one would think of doing that. And yet that's what's happened. We are enriching Iran. Iran is the main state supporter of terrorism in the entire world. And we have now managed to, one, cut back on our energy production. Secondly, uh, make uh, Iran so much more wealthy, and also by uh, uh, easing the restrictions on them, by increasing the price of oil. All these things have been done. Uh, only bolster Iran. Iran uses that funding to uh, uh, supply terrorist groups all over the world, plus building up its own resources. No, this is... Uh, uh, it, you, you wouldn't believe it. If somebody submitted this as a script for a play or a movie... They throw it out and say, no, no yeah. president of the United States would ever do that. But yet President Biden is, do- is doing it and has done it. Thank you, uh, Congressman King, for speaking out for America. You've always spoken out in your 28 years in Congress. You continue to speak out. Uh, God bless you. God bless America. And may, may the American people wake up and say enough is enough with this, over what's going on with our borders. Thank you so much. John, thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. 
with us this morning is Senator Alphonse D'Amato, and he is worried about our country. Senator D'Amato, uh, welcome to the new year. Uh, tell us, are we going to save the? Uh, are we going to save the world? What the heck is going on? I don't think we're going to save the world unless Joe Biden changes completely, and I don't see him uh, changing completely, John. You, you know, when uh, Trump left, okay. We were, this country, in a much better position than we are today. And what did Sleepy Joe do? He normalized relations with Iran. In other words, sanctions that we had on them with respect to their oil, he lifted. And what did that do? That gave Iran $50 billion, $50 billion that they had that they wouldn't have had for their war machine. And, you know, just in in the past uh, uh, three months, we've had 110 attacks against U.S. forces in the Middle East, all right? And and who sponsored them all? Iran. You would think that we would at least impose the sanctions. And what is Iran looking to do? They're looking to go nuclear. And what are we doing? And by the way, why do you think the Hamas attacked Israel? You, you tell me. Iran paid them. Iran panicked. Iran panicked because Israel and Saudi Arabia were talking about normalizing relationships, which would have been fantastic for that region. And Iran couldn't stand that. That would be terrible because Iran is attempting to, to create havoc in that region and become the monster power. And she really has become a monster power as it relates to having the military capabilities, okay, and is very close to going nuclear. And so Iran panicked because if Israel and Saudi Arabia come together, they become the power. They neutralize Iran. And what does Sleepy Joe do? Nothing. Nothing. Now, Senator, (laughs) the one thing you have to look at, Israel did not attack Iran. But the question is, was it a conspiracy along with Saudi Arabia because ISIS took credit for attacking Iran. ISIS is Sunnis, which might be might be funded by Saudi Arabia. So no. is that a... Believe me, Saudi Arabia is looking to link up with Israel. They were looking to come together, all right? And it would have been a terrific thing. And and so what you have there is a situation where Iran, as a result of the Houthis that they are financing and the others in in that region, and with all of the attacks, and what did we do? We were attacked over 110 times. Our responses have been feeble. For God's sakes, we ought to go in, knock out one of their major facilities, I'm not even saying hit their uh, atomic facility, but 
That's what we have to do. And remember this, Israel is the major, major threat to who? Iran. Because Israel will never let Iran go nuclear. They will knock them out. They have to. They can't let Iran go well, nuclear. Well, it, it'll either be Israel, but the new player that's back in town, ISIS, yep. that's funded by yep. the Sunnis. Let me say this to you. We have to support Israel. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, we can't waver because she is our only defense in that area. And she is the only defense we have against Iran going nuclear. And if we allow Iran to go nuclear, uh, I, I tell you, I fear for this country. I feel fear for world peace. And Sleepy Joe has sold out to Iran. And let me tell you who is behind Sleepy Joe. Make no mistake about it. Obama. It's the Obama policies that Sleepy Joe reinstated. Obama allowed the trade with Iran. And he put in his former head of who was working, who was the special envoy to Iran, who was fired last June because they caught him disseminating information, classified information. And he was the guy who made it possible to lift and forget the $6 billion. That's nothing. We let him have between 50 and $80 billion in, in oil, in oil trade that heretofore have been cut off. And so between uh, our failures in, in the Middle East and between our total collapse of protecting the United States, our border, what the heck is wrong with us? And why don't the American people wake up? Don't they see what's happening at the border? Don't they see our cities being overrun? We can't afford this. We're having trouble feeding our people, giving job opportunities to, to people who need them here in this country. And yes, we are a country that welcomes immigrants. We, you and I, and so many others, being descendants of, of people who migrated to this country and to gave, who gave our grandparents and parents an opportunity uh, to become uh, American citizens. So, yes, uh, we don't want to close the doors, but you've got to have an immigration policy. You have to know who's coming and going, uh, uh, Senator. I mean, uh, you, you can't just have people crossing the borders. Uh, I mean, you can't have two policies. At our airports, oh, they make you take off your belt, take off your shoes, and at the borders, they just walk in. Criminals. Criminals yes. come in, and, and they say, okay, uh, you'll show up for your appointment six years from now. And then we'll, and so for the next six years, and by the way, you think they're going to show up six years? They never, now? they never show up. I mean, and, and this so, is, I would say, uh, Mayorkas, uh, who they want to impeach, and I'm not sure if they can because uh, it, it looks like the Democratic Party is solidly uh, for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, they never kind but, of want but, uh, he, he He is, uh, I mean, Mayorkas for sure allowing this to happen as Homeland Security Secretary, 
uh, has uh, yeah. is close to uh, crossing the treason line. Well, and, and who's behind it all? Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe. He's allowing it to take place. And, and I have to tell you, we are in great trouble as a nation and the world. Because without our leadership, and as, as the, our European allies see us staggering around, guess what? We lose that respect that we once had. And I don't know if they're going to follow us. I don't know when the chips are down if they're going to be there, if they're going to believe in America. Because I have my doubts about this country and its leadership. Imagine the doubts that our European allies have. Hmm? Yeah. And so it's not good. And Senator, you, thank you. We, thank you this Sunday morning. President. Thank you this Sunday morning for coming on. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Take care and be strong. Healthy, happy new year, John. Happy new year. With us this morning is uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And, you know, he brightens up our Sunday mornings when we look up in the skies and find out what mysteries are up there. Steve Cates, give us some interesting mysteries of the week. Well, John, we begin with the mysteries of the week. First, we say happy new year to everybody, obviously, as we move into the almost first week. But, John, we're going to be talking about the Earth here, and this is fascinating information that I've researched here, and it's amazing to most people. So here we go. We realize, first, the Earth is not a perfect sphere. It's an ellipsoid. Along the equator, it's about 26 miles wider, like a full running marathon, than it is if you went and measured it from the poles. But here's something even more fascinating, I think fascinating. 27 days it takes for human skin to kind of resurface itself and recycle. But the Earth's surface recycles every 500 million years, and it's been doing that for a long time. John, the list continues. The Earth, and where the moon was thought to come from, was a collision with another planetary object, maybe the size of Mars, called Thea, and that happened 30 million years after the Earth formed. But the list goes on. But aren't these things amazing? I mean, things that we don't even really know, the mysteries that we're talking about, and some things that open people's minds. This is great stuff. It is it is great stuff, and I'm sure there's a lot of things we still don't know. I enjoyed the movie that we saw. What was it, a Chinese movie? The, the one with the moon is ready to come back and collide the planet oh, yes. Earth. That was an yes, enjoyable movie. It was, even though the sci-fi, the special effects were kind of out of this world. But we hope that, of course, the moon never turns into that kind of a close object. But John, well, like, like we said amazing- last week... Uh, we yeah. got to worry about it in at least a thousand years. Absolutely. But see, the moon is receding, which is kind of good and kind of bad. But here's a few other amazing Earth facts. Here we go. Parts of Antarctica, which is really just a cold desert, have never seen rain in 14 million years. That's almost incredible to believe. How can we believe that? But it's true. And here's another one. The highest point from the Earth's center is not Mount Everest. It's 29,032 feet high. We say that it's the Mauna Kea volcano, which is in Hawaii. But actually, that's not even accurate. We find a mountain in Ecuador called Mount Chimaborazo, which is some 6,800 feet higher than Everest if you measure it from the center of the Earth. And here's another strange fact. The majority of the Earth's population lives in the northern hemisphere. We probably knew that. But half of the population of the world lives in Asia. That's 60%. And the most big populated city in the world is Tokyo. They suffered a big earthquake in that area. 35.8 million people. 
But here's another outstanding fact, and we could go on, but this is the last one for now. There's plenty more. John, the Earth's entire population of 8 billion people could fit entirely into the area, the landmass of Los Angeles, if you put 10 people per square meter. Now, that's amazing. That's fitting 8 billion people into the area of Los Angeles. It goes to show you how the things we know on the Earth, maybe we take for granted. Now, I I got a question for you, and you got to put on your memory cap. We spoke many, many, uh, about a year ago about that map that was found by a Turkish uh, captain or whatever. He had it uh, with Antarctica showing the true map of Antarctica that uh, we speculated it could have been from uh, uh, the Library of uh, Alexandria. And that's that's certainly not 14 million years old. No. And that's incredible. So where did that map come from? Exactly. Otherworldly connections, we don't know. But you're so right. If you look at the map and you match what the real map is from satellites, it's pretty much spot on. We have no idea how those people created that map. Another of the most incredible mysteries about the Earth. But, John, not to change the subject, but to enlighten people because there's so much going on. Last week, we found out the most powerful solar flare of this whole solar cycle happened on New Year's Eve, an X5, and it sent out an amazing amount of energy. We found out that on the 4th of January, that same sunspot group called Active Region 3536 blew out another flare, a big M4 flare. And what's it doing? It suppresses radio waves in the northern hemisphere of the Earth. Anywhere between 35 megahertz and 10 megahertz gets wiped out for a while. They call it a polar cap absorption. Why am I telling you all this? Because this solar cycle is heating up way stronger than what we thought before. And the ironic thing here, this is always mind-boggling to me. Folks, did you know, and John, that the Earth was closest to the sun on January the 4th? And people may be wondering, why is it so cold? Well, the southern hemisphere obviously gets a much stronger summer as the opposite hemisphere has that season. So many amazing things, don't you think? Well, the question, the question is... Our government is pushing us to an all-electric operation. Yes. What, what happens if we get the wrong solar flare or one of our enemies uh, that is circling the, uh, the, uh, the Earth in, uh, presses the wrong button and knocks out our grid system, we're going to yes. be living in the land of the jungle. No, no well, car right, because an electric yeah. car. And no heat because they only want electric heat. Uh, you can't even charge your iPhone because no electricity. We'll be living in the land of the jungle. Well, Tony, you're so right. I'm your brother in common sense. And you know, at one time, myself and my partner had a Tesla. Now, we sold it for different reasons. But the reality is the limitation on the distance it can travel, we all know that. The inability for having all these charging stations, you're going to have to use fossil fuels to generate this or nuclear power. But even more prolific, as you bring up, and people like who believe in common sense have to take a look at this. Obviously, a major solar flare would literally wipe out so much of the Earth's dependable you know, sources of calling it electricity or what have you, that we really need to have what we call the backup power. And I don't usually get political here, but I'm 100% in line with what you say. We need to keep drilling. We need to keep expanding our, our you know, energy independence here in this country not only because it's the right thing to do, common sense, but because look at what other nations in the world could do to us if indeed they wanted to cut off our existing supplies 
or supplies that we depend on. We need to do simply like you say all the time. We need to be energy independent and drill and find other solutions. There are many other solutions out there to the energy problem. And many people lean on nuclear, which could be done safely. Many people disagree with that. But, John, moving off from the normal conversation that we have, it's so interesting to talk about these things in the year 2024. And wrapping it up, finally, my friend, we talk about the live sky. There's only some 90 days between now and the total solar eclipse. And the listeners across the nation at the Cats Roundtable are going to be in for a good treat. We're going to be talking about this, of course, as much as often as you would want and as much as the people want to hear. But that total eclipse, John, is going to be visible far and wide throughout the state of New York. And it's a rare event. It won't happen for us in that area of New York for another 375 years. Amazing. Steve Cates, Happy New Year. Thank you so much for uh, uh, filling us in. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is uh, Adam Johnson. He anchored uh, several business uh, programs on, on Bloomberg News and, and uh, interviewed many CEOs, heads of state. Adam, what the heck is going on? Hey, John. I know. Uh, a new year uh, uh, finally arrives, and you just sort of look around and you say, geez, what changed? I mean, it's amazing, John. In the first week of January, investors put nearly $1 billion the actual amount was 920, but call it a billion dollars into money market funds, which was like seven times what they put into stock and bond funds because they're so confused. They're hiding in cash. But, John, what we need to do is just step back, just not listen to the all the noise that we get pummeled with every day and recognize that actually this economy is stronger than many people believe. And I'll tell you why I say that, John. It's the two E's of earnings and employment. I know there are a lot of things that aren't going well. Uh, Washington is a disaster. The border is even worse than that. There are wars abroad. But if you just look at the two E's of earnings and employment, John, the picture is actually pretty strong. We have the most number of people ever working. They're making money and they're spending money. That's good for earnings. And earnings for actually probably the first time now in about – four quarters, we're going to see not only earnings rise, but we're also going to see profit margins rise. And that's because inflation has come down and supply chains have normalized. So, yeah, I know there's a, there's a lot of confusion out there. I know that the world is far from perfect. But from my point of view as a stock investor, I actually like what I see for 2024. I'm fully invested, by the way. You feel uh, it's what we have discussed in the past, that it's an election year, the markets are going to continue to go up to make the world look better. Yeah, yes, exactly right. You know, in fact, if you go back historically since World War II, and, and my friend Dan Clifton over at Strategus Research has done this. Dan, by the way, is the institutional investor, number one rated Washington policy analyst, year in, year out. He is so good. And what he did is he went back to World War II, and he said, you know, what happens over the four years um, between presidential elections. And what he found is that in the election year, and this is an election year, government pulls out all the stops because incumbents, both Republicans and Democrats, doesn't matter who's in the office, but whoever is in the office, they pull out all the stops to get reelected. And, you know, that basically means throwing money 
at people to buy votes. And I know that, you know, the high and mighty people in their in their you know ivory towers would say, oh, my gosh, how could you say that? Well, because that's what they do from uh, additional spending measures to additional subsidies to enhancements. You know, it's just politicians being politicians. You know, they've learned Republicans included, I hate to say as a Republican, but Republicans, uh, you know, too, have learned if you spend money. The voters respond. That was, you know, you remember uh, Ronald Reagan used to talk about tax and spend Democrats with the emphasis on, well, probably both. You know, the, the assumption was that uh, if you spent money, you, you, you know, you you got the, all the people behind you. Well, Republicans have learned that, too, because during covid, you know, we had to survive and everybody in government threw um, as much money as they could. At the rest of us and the rest of us liked it. And so, unfortunately, we've got a spending problem. But, yes, to your point, John, it's an election year, and government is going to pull out all the stops because all these guys want to get reelected. Oil is on the soft side and because and, and, you can't get elected if you, if you have $5 a gallon oil. And <laughs> interest rates, um, even though they, on Friday they, were, they had a little bit of strength, I just don't see it. I mean, well, what do you think on interest rates in oil? Let's just first talk about interest rates, because that's been the thing that, you know, just crushed markets and all of us, too, you know, in so many different ways. You know, the inflation, the higher interest rates, it just made everything more expensive. Inflation was over 9 percent. It's down to three. The goal is to get it to two. So we're getting a lot closer. The last percent's probably going to be hard, but it gives the Fed uh, cover to start cutting rates. And that's very helpful. Now, you, if, you know, if you want to sort of play the skeptic, you could also say, well, the White House might be pressuring the Fed to cut rates because if rates go down, it lowers prices for everybody. So, yes, fine. There could be some political pressure. We'll never really know because all that stuff happens behind closed doors, um, as you know. But, yes, that's certainly something that could play out. And rate cuts, depending upon how fast they happen and what the commentary is from Chairman Jerome Powell, um, there are going to be plenty of people you know, looking for that, trying to connect the dots. Um, as far as oil goes, John, you know, believe it or not, and I say this again, as, as, as you and I have discussed, I'm a former oil trader, so I watch oil pretty closely. And believe it or not, the world is actually pretty well supplied. The U.S. is not the world's largest producer, 13.3 million barrels a day, um, in spite of the Biden administration trying to um, restrict drilling on federal land. And the other thing, John, is that because the Biden administration is trying to pursue the green agenda, you know, clean energy, um, they're kind of kind of turning a blind eye to um, Russian exports. They've allowed Iran to come back to the market. And they've even um, given Maduro down in Venezuela the green light to start exporting again. And those barrels were held off the market for years. So my point is there's a lot of oil out there, which is why I think oil is only 75 bucks with two wars happening instead of, you know, a hundred bucks with two wars happening. And again, politicians want to get reelected. And if gas prices are too high, that makes it hard. So, yeah, I think you're right, John. There's there, there's pressure coming from from on high in Washington to keep oil down and to lower interest rates simultaneously because both are good for consumers. Anything new? Uh, we got one minute left. Anything new on uh, electric vehicles? I, there's so much controversy going on lately. Yeah. Well, for the second week in a row, 
Tesla is recalling uh, 2 million cars. 2 million uh, two weeks ago in the U.S., 2 million this past week in China. Um, And the problem is with auto steering. I mean, look, anyone who thinks that you can just get behind the wheel of a car and not steer it, honestly, that's the most irresponsible thing I've ever heard. It's just crazy. Maybe one day, you know, when there are all kinds of special paints that are painted on the road that then sensors in the cars uh, can read, uh, and there's no snow, and there's no rain, and there's no fog, right? Maybe, maybe one day autonomous driving will work. I mean, it probably works in a factory if it's just a robot moving, moving boxes around an aisle where there are no other people. But when you talk about autonomous driving, um, which is kind of linked to electric vehicles, yeah, that's just crazy. It's not ready for prime time. And just plain old electric vehicles, forget autonomous vehicles, but the electric ones, there aren't enough chargers. And they're yeah. expensive. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I, you know, I just I think we got all excited about it and we, we, we got ahead of our skis. Um, electric vehicles are out there fine, but, you know, we're going to have gas powered cars for a long time. Adam Johnson, thank you for your report. And we'll catch up again real soon next week. Thank you so much. Oh, sounds great, John. Thanks. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.